0: Hello, and welcome to Not Just Great Men, a history podcast brought to you by the History Department at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. I am Jamie Mice. Today is the fourth episode of our second season, History's Lessons. This season, we are exploring topics that our students said they wanted to know more about after taking our classes. Our fourth episode explores the life and death of Grigori Rasputin the religious mystic who wormed his way into the Russian Tsar's family. To learn more about Rasputin and the historical memory of his death, I spoke with Dr. Anthony Johnson. Dr. Johnson is an assistant professor of European history at UNCP. You may recall Dr. Johnson's previous episode on the assassination of Sergei Kirov, the Soviet Party boss. I am not sure why Dr. Johnson's episodes are always about murder, but if by chance you have heard that episode, I encourage you to check it out. little way in to start with a, com, you know, just to pick up with a conversation. I don't know if you listened to the episode on the civil rights movement, but the episode begins with Dr. Harper and I talking about Coke and Pepsi. Okay. So
1: it's just a way. Pepsi. To- Thank you. Next question.
0: I thought we were. I thought. I thought we. You thought we could
1: get along for a second. I did. No, absolutely not. Lived in Atlanta. No.
0: Pepsi is trash. Um, mm -hmm. It's Coke. (sighs) Obviously, it's Coca Cola. Coca Cola,
1: the elixir of the gods. I'll see you Monday. Bye. Let me cut this off.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry.
1: Here, I thought we could get along.
0: I know. I thought the same thing. Apparently not. We're just going to have to figure out how to.
1: We're going to find something else we can agree on quick. Hurry.
0: How about Rasputin?
1: Uh, Certifiably insane, right?
0: Uh, The Mad Monk. Is that correct? The Mad
1: Monk, which used to be a great club in Wilmington, but uh, I don't know if it's still there.
0: Did it? Okay. (laughs) I don't know. I've only been to Wilmington once, and that was to go to a museum, and then I returned back home.
1: Oh, goodness. You, yeah, I know. Okay, I'm sure I, I've never,
0: I've never truly lived. Then
1: we, we've got to fix that at some point. <laughs> well, well, it's like people telling me who've who've lived in the area for thirty or forty years. You know, I've never been to Charleston. It's like,
0: now that is sad. Yeah, but we are going to talk about rescuing today.
1: We are indeed.
0: And I'm, I always say I'm excited because I do love recording these episodes, but. I am particularly excited today, oh uh, to talk, what? to talk about Rasputin is okay. That's is it, it is Putin, right? Or is it Putin? Putin. Putin, Rasputin. Rasputin. Putin. Putin. Vladimir okay. Putin,
1: not Putin. Okay.
0: That makes sense here. I've been saying it wrong. So my apologies. Rasputin. What? Um, it sounds kind of funny when I say it that way.
1: Anyway. Somebody told me today, I can understand why Vladimir Putin hates the United States so much, uh, George W. Bush used to refer to him as Pooty Poot. Yes, that's uh, that would surely irritate us. I'm sure.
0: I mean, where's your sense of humor? You know.
1: Yeah, I mean, come on. If your name's Putin, come on. You got to be able to roll with it, right? (laughs) Or you become a megalomaniac dictator. One or the other.
0: This is an excellent point. (laughs) This is an excellent point. Students surveyed. We surveyed our UNCP students and your lecture on Rasputin strangely enough, that apparently happened in an American history survey class. It's not even what they they wanted to (laughs) know. It's what they wanted to know more about
1: it, it's it was just story time you know <laughs> you know how you get into a lecture and there's something that's kind of tangentially related and you just go do I do you want me to continue on this lecture or do you want story time for a few minutes and everybody goes story time they always who vote wants for to hear a story. lecture right
0: they always want to vote for story time oh yes that's, that's right they thought maybe if they did they opted for story time they would get a break from slamming doors and uh oh, no there's
1: no escaping that, right? No
0: escaping that. Okay. Not
1: e- right. not even a hope of escaping that.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. So, please, Dr. Johnson. Yes. Tell, tell us about Rasputin. So, I think hopefully most people are aware of who he is, but he is a figure that becomes very much connected with the imperial family in Russia, right?
1: Nicholas Romanov, Nicholas II. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. So well, I'm not trying to step on your questions.
0: No, 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 no. So I just was going to just go ahead and throw that out there in case people had not heard of him. But he's a pretty, in terms of kind of broad historical narratives, he's a rather infamous character, I think. Yeah.
1: Uh, that's so. that's a good word. Infamous. <laughs> because, so. uh, some people some people put it like he befriended the royal family, and like oh, okay, some would say he kind of wormed his way into the royal family.
0: It's my understanding he wormed his way into a lot of. Aristocratic houses in Russia before he found his way into the czar's palace. But I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Please let's start at the beginning because it's a very good place to start. Where, oh, where is he? Part. Where is he from? And how? How is he really a religious
1: person? Well, he's he's from a village out in the middle of Siberia called like Pokrovskoye, uh, which is in like uh, Tumen Province. He's from a family of peasants. He's a peasant himself. He has a kind of conversion experience, right? He's born in 1869, so he's not not incredibly old when he passes away. He's like, I don't know, like 46, 47. Let me think again. Yeah, He passes away at the end of 1916, so he's 47 years. Yeah, sorry to spoil it for anybody. We won't spoil tell him all just yet, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: he's this Siberian peasant. He's... He, has this conversion experience. He claims to be a mystic. He he claims to be a holy man. And again, I, I can't stress the word claims enough. Uh, it, by the early 1900s, by like 1906, he has kind of wormed his way into high society in St. Petersburg. And one of the Tsarina's ladies in waiting, uh, the, the czarina at the time, is actually a, a you know of German extraction, it's mm-hmm. you know Alex of Hesse, mm-hmm. and she's the granddaughter of Queen Victoria, which it seems mm-hmm. like you know every royal house in mm-hmm.
0: Europe they were like all they were related,
1: yeah. has somebody who was related to
0: uh-huh. all roads lead back to Queen Victoria.
1: Oh, yes, oh, yes, and. They don't know this, right? I mean, the mom is Alex of Hesse, the grandmother's Queen Victoria, even her husband, right? Nicholas II of Russia. He is like a a grandson or a great-grandson, something, some connection. Grandson. Victoria as well. Yeah,
0: he's also a grandson, yeah.
1: Yeah, he's his cousin, you know, by like... By the start of the first world war is also King of England or King of great britain
0: and uh, and the German Kaiser
1: and the German Kaiser used they they <laughs> love to at family gatherings switch out uniforms and play jokes on people because they looked so much alike at times mm-hmm. uh
0: Georgian gosh, George and Nicholas could have been twins, they looked yeah. eerily oh yes, eerily similar, so sorry, yeah. we weren't we no, weren't no, going to no. talk they about really that though do. were we. <laughs>
1: It's, it's, I, I tell my students that European royal families by this point, it's like a spider web, the family tree. It really, it really is. Mm-hmm. But, uh.
0: Queen Victoria is the spider.
1: Yeah. She, uh, and we don't know how this happened, but there's a, there's a mutation in the, in the family genes at some mm-hmm. point. hmm And that gets passed down through members of the family. The, the disease is hemophilia. Mm-hmm. And uh, for those of you who don't know, right, it's, uh, it's really a clotting disorder. Mm-hmm. This is typically carried by the women. And so mm-hmm. the, the Tsarina who changes her name to Alexandra when she gets married to Nicholas, uh, Alexandra really, really takes this hard because she feels like, you know, I have passed this on to my child. Uh, the, the men are generally speaking, although not always the case, but generally speaking, they're the ones who exhibit the symptoms and the women are the carriers. So they've got five children, Nicholas and Alexandra, four daughters and a son. And according to a law passed by Paul, after his mother, Catherine the Great passed away in 1796, only a man can inherit the throne. Women cannot inherit the throne of Russia. And so Alexei, even though he is the youngest, he is the heir apparent. Alexandra really, really feels a lot of guilt, feels a lot of responsibility. It's like when the child was born, when when Alexei was born in 1904, they they didn't know. They didn't right. understand. They, right. they cut the umbilical cord and he would not stop bleeding. Mm-hmm. And the estimates are he may have lost like a ninth or an eighth of... The overall blood and and that's I mean that's dangerous 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 yeah and so Alexandra is incredibly okay I'll use the word incredibly susceptible to somebody who can say I'll help the child
0: sure she's desperate and,
1: yeah and, and Rasputin kind of worms his way into the royal family because by gosh 1906 or so he's also proclaiming himself as a faith healer.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. And when you're when you're feeling the level of guilt and you're feeling the level of desperation that Alexandra is feeling, Mm -hmm. you'll grasp at any straw.
0: Well, because Rasputin wasn't the first person, right? There had been another person, some sort of uh, faith mystic that she had. Kind of brought into the household before Rasputin, exactly. The and there,
1: and there are always doctors around. Yeah, and even from the time that Alexei is a little boy, they assign two naval officers to him to make sure that he doesn't, you know, bump his leg against a you know a table corner or you know doesn't get injured at all. They're there to keep an eye on him, and by all accounts this kid is even more rambunctious yeah. because he knows that he's got people there kind of looming over him Mm -hmm. on every step. And he just looks to see what kind of trouble we can get into, right?
0: Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, uh, of
1: course, even further wreaks havoc on Alexandra's nerves.
0: Sure, because you bring up a good point that it's not so much even the concern of him breaking his skin and then bleeding. It's most of the time when he has serious episodes where he has to be put to bed and there are these high-stress situations is because of internal, yeah. you know, I mean, internal and, and, bleeding.
1: And, yeah, internal bleeding is was particularly bad for him. I mean, uh, one example is like in August of 1907, he, he fell and hurt his leg playing, and that triggered an internal hemorrhage.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And by that point, like I said, by 1906 or so, Rasputin is proclaiming himself as his faith healer, mm-hmm. and and Rasputin by the autumn of 1907 has kind of latched himself to the royal family as a faith healer for Alexei. And this is the thing, right? He's he you know the young tsarvich is in pain. He is he is writhing in agony, and Rasputin tells him, "Don't worry about it. The pain is going to go away." God has healed you. Mm-hmm. And within a matter of a few days, the swelling goes down. He's running around and playing again. And Alexandra is like, yes, this is what we need. This is what we've been looking for. And that's that's not the only time that something like that happened. But by this point, Alexandra is like, you know, the doctors, doctors are one thing. Rasputin is something else.
0: Well, and I think uh, at least my understanding is You know, he had that calming presence and not even so much for Alexei, but for the parents who every single time he had one of these episodes were absolutely panicked.
1: And and that's, yeah, that's important to remember too, because children pick up on their parents' cues. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if the, if the parents are a nervous wreck, then that's, that's going to, you know, that's going to affect the child. If the child's hurt and wounded, bleeding internally, and the parents are in a panic, the Children can pick up on that. And so it's not just calming Alexei, it's calming Alexandra. Right. And right. Uh, by by a lot of accounts, Nicholas II, who's art at the time, he just he really doesn't care for Rasputin. Mm-hmm. But he sees how his wife is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so he, he kind of tolerates this. Right. He tolerates this man's presence because if it makes her feel better. Okay, fine. I, I'm sure people
0: are. This. I'm sure people are wondering too. If anybody's ever actually seen a picture of Rasputin, they're probably wondering how in the world could a man with crazy eyes like that be a calming influence on anyone.
1: <laughs> well, there, some people speculate <laughs> that he used his eyes to hypnotize people. Ooh. Yeah, I I don't know if I buy that.
0: Well, he. He certainly had a lot of charisma. He did. You got to give him that. And then I also heard that um, I think the the accusation for a long time is that there was an improper sexual relationship with him in the arena. And my understanding is that that is not true at all, mm. but that he was making his way around St. Petersburg and having a number of trysts with other leading women of the, the city.
1: Yeah. Leaving he's his got poor a,
0: wife in Siberia.
1: Yeah, he's got a, the stories are that he had a peculiar way of looking at sin and salvation. Mm. He's like, you know, you're everyday average person getting saved. You know, if your everyday average person gets saved, then they're just going to experience everyday average salvation. If you want to experience truly powerful Salvation—you've got to be a heck of a sinner—and so the stories are that he would alternate bouts of drunken debauchery with periods of prayerful repentance. Hmm. And it's like, you know, fascinating. I'd never thought about that before, but maybe you know, it's an intriguing—you know—concept.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know
1: how he came up with this particular concept.
0: Yeah, I, d- but, I don't know. I don't think Paul would approve. No,
1: <laughs> it's uh, a. <laughs> That's not that's not scriptural, right? No, I don't think so. You're not going to find that in the Bible anywhere. No, but uh, Paul didn't this,
0: tell the Church of Corinth that. No, that is not yeah. what he
1: told is, them. This is like his spiritual conversion, uh, conversion, his spiritual awakening, and he feels, you know, this is how it's going to work for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And so, yeah, he just alternates drunken debauchery with prayerful repentance. That's uh, that's a heck of a combination, right? It's a very, you got to be a fantastic sinner if you want to experience really great salvation in his mind.
0: Is it because of all of, I mean, the fact that he's, you know, sleeping with everybody's wives, that he's gotten too close to the czar's family? Is it a combination of all of those things that eventually lead a number of leading figures to say we have to get rid of him? Or is it something else?
1: It's a combination of factors you cannot dodge the reality of what's going on at the time, the first mm-hmm. world war mm-hmm. and
0: wait, historical context is important. Yeah. Who'd have thunk it, right? Oh my you, stars. Can't, you
1: can't dodge it because, you know, the first world war breaks out in the summer of 1914. You know, but you know, in a matter of a few days, every major power, with the exception of Italy, and don't come at me with, wait a minute, is Italy a major power? But, but every <laughs> every major power is at war, uh, and the war goes, by all accounts, very, very badly for the Russians. Uh, the the example I give is the the fate of the Russian Second Army under Samsonov, who you know, his army is almost completely annihilated. It's like 150,000 men. By the end of the Battle of Tannenberg, they're down to 10,000. Mm-hmm. And as they're you know, slogging through a Prussian swamp, trying to get back home, Samsonov just keeps repeating, how am I going to do? How am I going to tell the Tsar mm-hmm. what has happened? What how, how am I going to explain this? He's going to want answers. And I. how am I going to give him out? I don't know what mm-hmm. to do. How am I mm-hmm. going to handle this? And they set up camp for the night. And rather than face the czar, Samsonov kills himself. Okay. The defeat is so bad.
0: Yeah.
1: And it doesn't get any better. Mm. In the space of about a year, the Russians suffer several major defeats. They seem to do fairly well against the Austro-Hungarian forces, not so much against the German forces.
0: Mm.
1: and. In September of 1915, Nicholas II makes the decision that he is going to go to Stavka. He's going to go to uh, the, the Russian military headquarters, which at the time is just outside of Maligov. He He's I'm going to go to Stavka. He he fires the commander-in-chief, who was at the time, I think, his uncle. But he, he fires the commander-in-chief of the Russian military, and he assumes direct personal control over the affairs of the Russian military.
0: Good idea or bad idea?
1: Oh, it's completely horrible. He, he's, he's of the impression that his presence will make the Russian soldiers fight harder and that they will win just by him being at Stavka. And he's not a military man. He doesn't know what, to, well, I mean, he has some military training. But he doesn't understand what to do in this situation. So while he is at Stavka, he goes for long walks in the woods. He chops down trees and cuts up firewood. He, you know, telegraphs Alexandra and says, you know, things are really nice. Why don't you send Alexei to, to Mogayov and he can he can be here with me and kind of keep me company and you know the folks around me can keep their eye on him and he'll be safe. But the Russians keep losing because it's not a question of the Russian fighting spirit. I mean, by all accounts, the the Russians are brave, bold, courageous, and horrifically equipped. Mm -hmm. They don't have the tools necessary to fight this war. And Nicholas's presence at Stavka isn't going to do anything to change it. Right. It will, however, make him personally responsible for every military failure and setback. Right. Because he has taken on this responsibility himself. Mm-hmm. And while he is in Stavka, Alexandra is in power in Petrograd. is—you know, St. Petersburg has been renamed during the war. St. Petersburg sounds too Germanic. Petrograd sounds Russian.
0: Mm.
1: And so he leaves Alexandra in power in Petrograd. She spends most of her time at tsarskoye Solo, this czarist village outside of Petrograd. But she is deeply under the influence of Rasputin. Mm. And, yeah, if you look up the cartoons, there's a whole lot of, like, sexual innuendo about right. what Nicholas and Alexandra are doing. Oh, I'm sorry, about what Rasputin and Alexandra are doing while Nicholas is at Stavka. Mm-hmm. And just to, to kind of pile on to this, again, like I said at the beginning, Alexandra was Alex of Hess. She mm-hmm. is a Germanic princess.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And with things going so badly, people start to ask the question, you know,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: are are things going badly or is she making things go bad? Subterfuge. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And how badly is Rasputin, how badly is he shaping the the situation in Petrograd? What is he doing? He'll whisper in her ear, don't you? I think this advisor needs to be fired and Alexandra will fire him. I think you need to hire this person to replace him. She hires this person to replace him. And so he is, he has a lot of sway over Alexandra. And again, he is absolutely not a you know, everyday average humdrum person. He is, he is already a controversial figure. Right. Any of this happens. Right. This just kind of throws fuel on the fire. Now, his, they've already somebody already tried to kill him once. Did they? Somebody tried to kill him in the summer of 1914. How? Oh. A, a peasant woman, and I cannot remember her name right now to save my life. She's like,
0: oh, wait. Now that you say that, I think I remember. She, yeah, stabbed, she, him. she, she stabbed, stabbed him. She stabbed him in
1: the stomach, and he nearly That's
0: right. died. That's right. I remember that now that you mentioned it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. So we have this context of World War One. He's unpopular. The czarina now questions are beginning to emerge about what exactly is going on. Nicholas has attached himself to the war effort that continues to go poorly. Discontent is rising, I would assume. So who are the individuals that decide that something needs to be done about Rasputin?
1: We've got a... A cluster of conspirators, but the three main names to remember. Prince Felix Yusupov, who, again, Prince, he's a prince, he's a member of the royal family. He's one of the wealthiest people in Russia. The Yusupovs, as a family in general, were incredibly wealthy. And he marries into this wealth. He's he's not a Yusupov by birth, but he marries Irina Yusupova, and he takes her name. Uh, Another conspirator, another member of the royal family is Grand Duke Dmitry Pavlovich. Uh, Mm -hmm. And you've got a very, very conservative politician by the name of Vladimir Puriskovich. And these are the three main guys. And they are.
0: are, What is their interest in this?
1: They believe that Rasputin's influence over the Tsarina threatens the very existence of the Russian Empire.
0: Okay, so they're not. Their wives haven't had relationships with Rasputin. It's nothing personal. It's more of not that I've been able to. It's enough. a patriotic, patriotic motivation.
1: In fact, there's there's no evidence that like the lead conspirator Yusupov, uh, his wife Irina, by all accounts, was one of the most beautiful women in all of Russia. Mm. And she she never met. Rasputin, and that's one of the ways they actually lure Rasputin to Yusupov's palace on the Moika Canal. It's actually the Moika Palace. Oh. Is that you? know, Irena would like to meet you. Oh, okay. and you know, Rasputin being the guy that he was, like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'd kind of like to meet her as well. Mm-hmm. But there's there's nothing that I've been able to dig up that says that you know, like Pavlovich and Puriskovich, their their wives were involved with him in any way, shape, form, or fashion.
0: Okay, so it's not personal, it's patriotic.
1: That's that's what they think. They think that by killing Rasputin, they're going to save the Russian Empire.
0: Okay, now we have to move on then to the dinner, because there's so much myth around this dinner. The fact that Rasputin was absolutely indestructible.
1: Do you want the myth or do we want the reality? <laughs>
0: I don't know. Do we think people are familiar with the myth? I don't know.
1: Let me tell you this. The myth <laughs> has probably become far more important than the reality. Okay. The The myth is concocted by Yusupov. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's, you know, concocted in such a way to show just how evil Rasputin was, right? Look ah, at how hard we yeah. had to fight to kill this guy. Yeah. And so the myth <laughs> of... Rasputin's death has kind of taken on a life of its own,
0: mm. and I
1: always tell my students about like historical memory,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: and I, I liken it to the fisherman, who every time he tells the story, the fish gets just a little bit, it's bigger, a
0: little bit bigger,
1: until eventually the story becomes more important than the fish he caught, right? Mm-hmm. And people are there to listen to the story. The autopsy, the
0: story. though, the autopsy has revealed. The, the myth is not, in fact,
1: what happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, but the story is fantastic, right? I I, I tell this story because, again, I first heard it from Bruce DeHart. <sighs> and DeHart would tell everybody, you know, you you take this, you take what I'm getting ready to tell you with a gigantic grain of salt. Because this is the story that Yusupov wanted to perpetrate or perpetuate, rather, I should say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's that. Yeah, Yusupov, Puriskovich, and Pavlovich concoct this plan to to lure Rasputin to Yusupov's palace, the Moika palace, on the pretext that Yusupov's wife, Irina, wants to meet Rasputin. And Rasputin naturally is like, I'd love to meet her as well. Mm -hmm. His wife is not at home. Yusupov has packed her up and sent her off to one of their homes in Crimea just to keep her away from this whole episode. Mm Mm-hmm. But he tells Rasputin, you know, I'll come by around midnight on a Friday night, early Saturday morning, I guess. Like, I'll come by and I'll pick you up and take you to the palace along the Moika Canal. I'm hosting a party, so it'll be late. So I'll, I'll have to come by around midnight. And so Yusupov shows up. At Rasputin's apartment, he, he picks him up around midnight, and, and somebody who who knew Rasputin is kind of behind curtains, looking and spying to see what's going on, and they they visually confirm that yes, I saw Felix Yusupov pick Rasputin up from his apartment, and so yeah, Yusupov you know picks Rasputin up, gets Rasputin to the Moika Palace. And there's music playing upstairs. The other two conspirators are are playing music to make it sound like there's a party going on. Mm-hmm. And Yusupov tells Rasputin, you know, my guests haven't left yet. They're still upstairs with Irina. Uh, whenever my guests leave, I'll come, you know, I'll come get you and we can sit down and talk. But in the meantime, come with me. And he, he shows Rasputin to the basement mm-hmm. of the Moika Palace. The way the... The basement is kind of split up, and I've I've been in the basement of the Moika Palace, and it is pitch black down there, and they flip on this light during the tour, and there's a full-size wax statue of Rasputin looking at you
0: mm. when they
1: flip the light. More than a teeny bit unnerving. I, I was about to say, it
0: probably doesn't startle you at all. <laughs> just, just a little unnerving,
1: right? Mm-hmm. But the, the basement is divided kind of like a one-third, two-third setup. In the two-thirds, you've got a, a table and chairs. You've got a fireplace. And in the, the little alcove, that's the, the rest of the basement, the other third of the basement. You've got a cabinet. You've got a, a chest on the floor. that's uh, kind of ornately carved. You've got a crucifix and an icon corner. You, and spread out on the table when Yusupov shows Rasputin to the basement, is a plate of Rasputin's favorite pastries and a bottle of Madeira wine, mm-hmm. both of which have been heavily laced with potassium cyanide.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it takes a little urging. It takes a little prodding. But Rasputin sits down and he starts to eat. And you, know, Yusupov waits until he's you know started drinking the wine and eating the pastries. And he's excited. Right? He goes upstairs to where the other conspirators are waiting, and he tells them he's eating, he's drinking. Perfect. So how much how much potassium cyanide did you put in this stuff? It's like, oh, we, we put enough in to kill a horse. Don't worry about it. Okay. Well, how long is it going to take? Eh, 15 minutes. They wait about half an hour and Yusupov goes downstairs to check on Rasputin and the pastries are gone. The bottle of Madeira wine is almost completely empty. And there's Rasputin, like wiping his mouth like, man, that was good. What's going on? And I mean, I I, I wasn't there, but I can just imagine Mm -hmm. Yusupov just all of the color draining out of his face Mm
0: -hmm.
1: as this man is not dead. And the story goes again, take it with a huge grain of salt, right? Rasputin, like thrusts a guitar. At Yusupov and is telling me, like, sing, sing something for me, Felix. I love to hear you sing. And so Yusupov starts playing the guitar and singing because what what else am I going to do? Right. And they play and they sing and they carry on and nothing happens. Like 2.30 in the morning, mm-hmm. Yusupov is still playing the guitar and singing. And he finally says, I I need to go upstairs and check on my wife. And Rasputin's like, fine, I'll go check on her. Go check on her. And he gets out of the basement and sprints upstairs and says, He's not dead. He's not dead. What do I do? And Pavlovich produces a revolver and gives it to Yusupov and says, Here, shoot the SOD. And Yusupov tucks it into the back of his trousers and goes back downstairs to the basement. When he gets in the basement, Rasputin is in this little alcove looking at this ornately carved trunk, this chest on the floor. And he's, he's like, Where did you get this, Felix? This is beautiful. This is wonderful craftsmanship. I would love to have something like this. Tell me, tell me, where did you get it? And Yusupov says, Well, you know, points to the crucifix on the wall and says, Well, well what do you think of the crucifix? And Rasputin says, Yeah, 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 the crucifix is fine, but this, this chest, I must, I must have one of these. And apparently, Yusupov tells him something like, Grigory Afimovich, which is a very, very formal manner of address mm-hmm. Grigory Afimovich, you had better look at that crucifix and pray to it. And when Rasputin turns to face him, yusupov draws the revolver out and shoots him Uh different accounts some say he's shot in the chest some say he's shot in the forehead Uh but in any case he tumbles over this chest and lands in the floor and yusupov looks over at him to see blood gushing from this body and Uh he's thrilled he runs upstairs to tell the other conspirators what has happened but he hears something behind him and he turns to see rasputin on all fours crawling up the stairs after him now in my mind yusupov probably screams like a little baby girl kicks him in the forehead grabs the other conspirators they run down to the land to the landing on the stairs and they proceed to kick beat and bludgeon rasputin into unconsciousness then take him down to the basement strip him naked i don't look at me don't you yeah. they they strip him naked
0: they gotta get rid of the evidence
1: well, no, no, no. What they what they think they're going to do is that one of them will dress up in this clothing. Covered in blood. And they will go out to Rasputin's apartment and drop this fake Rasputin off at the apartment. So people will think, Oh, okay, well, he's home again. Everything is all right. Everything is hunky dory.
0: Oh. But wouldn't the clothes yeah. be covered in blood? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Minor detail. Minor, minor detail.
1: Minor detail, but this is what they think with they're going to do, right? Grain of salt story. Carry on. Yeah. Again, if take it with a grain of salt, take it with an entire box of morton. Take it with a fifty pound sack of rock salt. It's what they think they're going to do. When they finally like pick up the other conspirator, they rush back to Yusupov's palace. They go to the basement to check and make sure that Rasputin is dead, and there is nobody. He's gone. Yeah, nobody there, no, no human, no, no remnants of a human body, no mm-hmm. nothing. Mm-hmm. And off in the distance, they hear the courtyard door slam and they spread up the stairs to check and see what's going on. And apparently there's a stark mother naked Rasputin running through a snow covered courtyard, screaming at the top of his lungs. Just wait until I tell the czarina what you tried to do to me, Felix. Yusupov is screaming at Puriskovich, you know, shoot him, shoot him. Puriskovich levels the revolver, pulls the trigger, hits him in the shoulder. He keeps running, levels the revolver again, pulls the trigger, hits Rasputin in the back, and he goes sprawling. They then take him, they tie him up hand and foot. They throw him in a sack. They tie the sack up, and they drive out to the Great Petrovsky Bridge, which is over the Malyanevka River. In Petrograd, and they drop the body through a hole in the ice, and they do the dance of joy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, the story goes that he has worked his way out of the bag and had partially worked his way out of the ropes on his hands before he finally dies. He drowns. He doesn't die of the shootings, the beatings, the you know the poisonings. He he drowns, and the and his fingernails have been worn down from clawing at the ice, trying to get out. This guy's harder to kill than crabgrass, right?
0: Right. That's actually a really good saying because crabgrass is so hard to kill. (laughs) But in reality, I guess I should apologize for my spoiler alert. The autopsies and that they, because I mean, they did find his body. And so the autopsies revealed that, in fact, he did not drown. Mm -hmm. He did, in fact, die, right? From the
1: gunshot wound. Gunshot wound to the chest. And well, then another gunshot wound to the forehead, right? The the story is, and again, I I kind of inherited this story. Sure. Uh, Bruce DeHart got the opportunity to teach Russian history for the first time while he was a Ph.D. student at Chapel Hill. And in one of his first classes where he's teaching Imperial Russia, uh, there was an older gentleman taking the class merely for personal edification. And naturally, DeHart tells the story. I, of the death of Rasputin. I remember this story. Please go ahead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and apparently the guy approaches him at the end of class and he says, You yeah. know, I knew Felix Yusupov. I got to meet him. Yeah. And I couldn't help myself. I had to just put it to him bluntly. This is all a lie, right? Yeah. About the death of Rasputin. This, you made it all up and Yusupov maintained then he maintained until the day he died every word i have said is the gospel truth it happened just the way i said it did
0: Well, you have to say that if you're him oh you got
1: to commit sorry. to the law I mean, don't
0: you? yeah if it's going to be as big as that sort of thing you've got to commit to it you can't turn oh, yes. back you can't turn back
1: <laughs> um it wouldn't be wouldn't be Yusupov otherwise would he
0: oh absolutely not so, what does the murder slash assassination slash I don't know what we want to call it of him? Yeah. What what sort of impact does that have?
1: Well, if you want to add to the myth, right? Mm. So he's he's assassinated in the early morning hours of the seventeenth of December, nineteen sixteen.
0: After half a dozen attempts.
1: Yeah, this is
0: that's the old style <laughs>
1: calendar, by the way. It's, I think under the new calendar it was the thirtieth of December. Okay. But yeah, under the old style calendar, he dies on the 17th of December, 1916. They, When they read his testament, his last will, there are there are a few lines in there. One of the lines is something like, if the Russian people in their righteous indignation rise up and strike me down, so be it. Mm. But if a member of the royal family has a hand in my death, the Romanov dynasty will not last out the year.
0: Mm.
1: The Russian Revolution starts in February. Hmm.
0: Uh, Is that? uh, that, Yeah, right. Uh, Not, (laughs) it wasn't that sort of, hmm. Do, uh, do, do, (laughs) do revolutionaries use this?
1: Revolutionaries use, no. The, the revolution doesn't start because of anything so, uh, so dramatic. The revolution in 1917 starts because there isn't enough bread in Petrograd.
0: Right, right, right. But I, I don't. Sometimes, though, people become, does anybody consider Rasputin a martyr or is everybody just, I mean, with the exception of the Tsar's family, just relieved that he's gone?
1: I think that a lot of people are kind of kind of relieved. But that relief and relaxation naturally is going to be very short-lived just because of the events that take place in Russia in 1917. I mean, there was at one point, I think, um, there was one theory that, like, the British SIS had gotten involved in his murder. Okay. And I I don't see any evidence. Everything I've ever read is like, no, this really didn't happen.
0: So then this makes me wonder... You know, why is Rasputin so infamous then? Because in terms of his actual real involvement in anything political, high level, like what real threat he posed to Russia, the Russian people, all of that, I mean, it just doesn't seem that he was a threat, really.
1: Yeah, well, again, it depends on who you ask, like the the conspiracy theory that the British participated in his assassination. But again, Uh,
0: that would mean that he was somehow significant and he doesn't seem to me.
1: The story is that because Alexandra is of German extraction, that Rasputin is kind of whispering in her ear, Russia needs to conclude a separate peace with Germany. Okay. And that the British killed him to keep him from influencing Alexandra to seek a separate peace with the Germans and that means that the Germans can throw all of their effort into the war on the Western Front.
0: Well, but she couldn't have engaged in any sort of separate treaty by herself, could she?
1: Not by herself, but she's got a tremendous amount of power. She she is, for all intents and purposes, ruling in Petrograd while her husband is at Stopping. Stopping wood. Yep. <laughs>
0: I don't know. It all. I think this is where conspiracy theories just fall apart because yeah. if you have to explain and then you have to re-explain, and everything becomes increasingly complicated in terms of the explanation and the details needed, then to me that means that the the controversial theory is not all that convincing.
1: Yeah, and, and when it comes down to like. The motivations of Yusupov, Pavlovich, and Piriskovich. It's, you think there's, you know, they think they're saving the empire, that, you know, he's got far too, too much influence on on Alexandra. It's.
0: Well, that's why I asked the question about
1: patriotism, you know, again, in this situation, in the day and age, patriotism leading to murder.
0: Yeah. I mean, stranger things have happened. Yeah. But that's why I asked the question about if there was any personal connection. Because again, I mean, I appreciate that he had worked his way into the family. And I can understand how aristocratic people in Russia would be very concerned about him. But I mean, just in terms of the impact that he had on the nation state of Russia, it just doesn't seem like he did. Well,
1: you, you've you got to understand the nature of political power in Russia as well. Okay. It's... This isn't a democracy,
0: right? Right. This is an autocracy. Right. Yep. 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 Good point. Good point. You're right.
1: Yep. Yeah. And so if you've got if you've got the ear of the Romanov family, yeah. you've got a lot of power in your
0: hands. yep uh, yeah. You're. That's a good point. That's a good point. Very good. Very good.
1: Not that is I necessarily it, agree with the myth at all, but
0: is also can it just be a thing too that the the, the story is amazing? His picture makes him look like a a intimidating, crazy, slash scary, slash I don't know what sort of person. And so he's He wouldn't want
1: this. to run into this person in a dark alley.
0: No. So he becomes this infamous historical character just because it's so people quirky? need
1: people like to have an explanation. Right. Uh, it's it's why some conspiracy theories are so are so long lived, right? They they pick up a life of their own. Uh, uh, an example that I give is like the JFK assassination. Don't
0: do it. We did it on another episode. Yeah,
1: but but the idea is that this man's death has to mean, mean something. something.
0: Yes, it couldn't just come down to the
1: Oswald. It couldn't just happen a, by one nutcase yes. shooting a president of the United States. There's yes. got to be something, something more bigger. Than that.
0: Something bigger going on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we
1: we tend to embrace, or maybe not we. But but people tend to embrace this. Don't speak they, for me,
0: Doctor Johnson. Yeah,
1: be, well, not not for me either. I'm I'm not a conspiracy theorist in my own. You know, I'm not either. That's just, but yeah, people like to think that there's something more at play mm-hmm. here. Right? Hmm. Yusupov, Pavlovich and Piriskovich killing Rasputin to save the the Russian Empire. Like, really? Yeah. But if that's what they believed they were doing, if yeah. this. Yeah, If all of the stories and the rumors and the innuendos about Rasputin and Alexandra carry any kind of weight with somebody who who buys into a conspiracy theory, maybe they think this is the way to go.
0: Yeah, no, I see that point. I think maybe why initially it seems so unsatisfactory to me is because I think generally speaking, as historians we typically don't see things as monocausal. You know, we're forever trying to complicate and nuance things for our students and What's say, oh it doesn't. Yes. It doesn't just come down to this one thing, you know? And but so maybe that's,
1: but maybe that's when the myth becomes even more important.
0: Important. Yeah. Historical memory.
1: Well, yeah. We look at yeah. Daniel Bartol has talked about historical memory and like I said, again, Liking it to the fisherman whose fish keeps getting bigger every time he retells the story. After a while, we get so entrenched, and the story has such value that we're loath to alter it. That we're loath to dig any deeper to try and understand the reality that that supports the story, that supports the myth. Uh,
0: were these Were these three gentlemen treated like heroes?
1: Oh, this is, I mean, this is the biggest Keystone Cops kind of operation that you've ever seen in your life. They shoot a guy in the middle of a courtyard in the middle of Petrograd at a, t- during a time of war. The police immediately show up is like, well, what's going on? They're like, what do you mean what's going on? Nothing's going on. Right. And then one of them calls the police back to the palace to try and tell them, okay, yeah, yeah, something went on. In the meantime, the cops are like, Nothing's going on. It might have been a car tire that exploded or something. Mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm. That's okay. And they go on about their business until one of the conspirators calls them back and says, look, we really mean nothing. Maybe some a-, a dog got into the courtyard and we had to shoot the dog because we oh, were worried God. the dog is rat. It's like, I thought nothing was going on. I thought
0: that. Yeah. Well, and I guess to your point with the. Uh, the revolution following so closely behind these people would have it wouldn't Russia wouldn't have been a good place for them to be anyway,
1: because mm. of uh, class and uh, yeah, Yusupov and his wife, I think they flee mm-hmm. to uh, to Paris and then Yusupov. And I, I think they end up in New York, or maybe it's just Yusupov who ends up in New York after everything is said and done, mm-hmm. uh, Goes goes to New York, spends time in New York, Spends time in France. Yeah, he dies in Paris.
0: I was gonna say I thought that not about him specifically, but I thought Paris was a popular destination for Russians fleeing the revolution.
1: Paris was because that was the that was the courtly language
0: mm-hmm. for the Russian mm-hmm.
1: Empire for for hundred and fifty years, two hundred years almost. Yeah, the language of the royal court was French, not Russian. If you were educated, if you were elite, you spoke French.
0: I feel like maybe I knew that at one point in my life, but I had forgotten it. Yeah, as it goes.
1: So you get you get a, you get the occasional reminders just sitting down conversing with other historians, right?
0: That's right.
1: So, so.
0: Well, you know, our training takes us from the the big. Broad, not incredible, big, broad knowledge, but not in a tremendous amount of depth. And the the puddle shrinks in terms of the space it takes up on the ground, but the puddle gets a lot deeper.
1: And eventually we look at a you know, three mile deep raindrop, it seems like.
0: Yes. And we forget all of the other just general historical knowledge that we once learned oh, at yeah. some point.
1: That's why we sit around and talk, right? God, I'd forgotten all about all
0: about that. that. Yes, that's why we do uh, these these podcasts because it's a it's a lesson for me too.
1: Okay. Well, as as uh, as I tell my students occasionally, if I can't set the record straight, the least I can do is set it firmly crooked. <laughs> but at the very least, I've set the record firmly crooked.
0: <laughs> well, very good. Well, Doctor Johnson, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today about Rasputin. No and the stories around his his death and the scant
1: legacy that he'd been had
0: in Russian history He shows up
1: for about 12 years and everything goes haywire and then he's gone. But everybody remembers him.
0: Everybody remembers him. Oh, well. I, I think wherever he is, that's got to be satisfactory for
1: him. <laughs> maybe. Maybe it will be. All right. Well, very good. Good having me. i uh, oh, I enjoyed you. this as I always do. Very good. And I just I couldn't get up and move around and perform like I usually do for this. Whole and I
0: didn't have to, to jump about. because you slammed a door, and yes, I didn't I did. have to try to speak over you from a an adjoining classroom. You're so
1: gonna, you're going to make me feel even even worse. Thank you.
0: <laughs> I'm teasing, of course. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, you have a great day and I'll, I'll look forward to trying to holler over you tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening to Not Just Great Men, a history podcast brought to you by the History Department at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. Please join us next time when we will discuss the Silk Road. Speak with you soon.